I've said it before on multiple occasions, I truly do love what I do. I love the direct patient care that I have an opportunity to give, and I love the medical education that I have an opportunity to participate with. But sometimes on the clinical side, you hear or you witness some things that just kind of make you scratch your head and go, wait, what's going on? How do we get here? So two days ago, I had a 20-year-old college student come to me just for a, quote, a checkup to make sure she was okay. You see, two days before, she had had unprotected intercourse. And so she went to the pharmacy and bought plan B over the counter and took it within six hours of the unprotected sexual act. And that's great. But she was so worried about having an unintended pregnancy that she also, two hours after taking the plan B, took Olipristol, which was an old prescription that she still had in her cabinet. Yep. So she took plan B and then two hours later, she took Olipristol. She took a progestin and then an anti-progestin all within hours of the unprotected intercourse. So I said, wait, what happened? <laughs> so plan B first and then an anti-plan B, basically Olipristol, shortly thereafter. Well, try to figure that out. So in this podcast, I thought it'd be a good idea to cover emergency contraception because there's just a lot of mis perceptions of it and misunderstandings like, well, when do you take Ella and when do you take plan B and does weight actually matter in terms of efficacy and does emergency birth control cause an abortion? So I thought let's get right to the heart of this issue and cover all of those matters here in this session. Hi, this is Madeline Carson, fourth-year medical student at Texas College of Osteopathic Medicine and future family medicine physician. This is Clinical Pearls. All right, friends, let's get the terms correct. Use of emergency contraception is to avoid a unintended pregnancy. People use the word unintended and undesired as interchangeable, but that's not really the case. There are couples who have an unintended pregnancy, meaning it was probably mistimed, but they're okay with it and they're not distraught about it. So we have to move away from that idea that all unintended pregnancies are undesired. And that's why the term from the CDC and ACOG really is unintended. Because unintended pregnancy implies two distinct categories. One, those that are in fact undesired or unwanted. That's when the pregnancy occurs either when no children or no more children are desired. But unintended pregnancy also includes those that are mistimed, means that the pregnancy occurred earlier than desired, but it's not causing any significant distress to the couple. Nearly 50% of U.S. pregnancies still are unintended, and by age 45, more than half of all U.S. women will have had an unintended pregnancy. The prevalence of unintended pregnancy, according to the data, is highest among non-Hispanic black women who have double the prevalence compared to non-Hispanic white women. The incidence of unintended pregnancy is also highest in women with incomes that are below the federal poverty level and also in women without a high school education. Unmarried and cohabitating women, according to the data, also have a prevalence that's four times higher of an unintended pregnancy compared with married women. By definition, emergency contraception, which is also known as postcoital contraception, is therapy used to prevent pregnancy after an unprotected or inadequately protected act of sexual intercourse. 
common indications for emergency contraception include contraceptive failure, like a condom breakage, or a missed dose of oral contraceptives. The two other most common indications are failure to use any form of contraception at all, and of course, patients who've had sexual assault. Well, here's what emergency contraception is not. Emergency contraception is not the same thing as a medical abortion. Medical abortion is used to terminate an existing pregnancy, whereas emergency contraception is effective only before a pregnancy is established. Emergency contraception, here's a clinical pearl, is ineffective after implantation. Access to emergency contraception is vital, and ACOG supports free open access to emergency contraception. ACOG states that we should, quote, write advanced prescriptions for emergency contraception, particularly for ulipristal acetate, to increase awareness and reduce barriers to immediate access, end quote. ACOG also supports open education, information, and awareness about emergency contraception, which is why we're doing this podcast. It's amazing how much misperceptions are out there, as we said in the intro. And some patients can actually take it wrong, like my patient did in our introduction to this podcast. So remember, it's important to address emergency contraception during well-woman visits, during regular visits for other issues. And ACOG also states that we need to have public and clinician education that clarifies that emergency contraception will not terminate an established pregnancy. Again, that's part of our job as healthcare providers. Remember, we're also educators for all of our patients that emergency contraception is just that. It is contraception, not a medical abortion. There are only two main categories of emergency contraception, either hormonal or non-hormonal. Hormonal is all oral therapy, and they're all progestational agents, either a progestin agonist or a progestin antagonist. The non-hormonal option is the copper T IUD. A copper T IUD is the most effective form of emergency contraception and also provides ongoing pregnancy protection. The copper tea is also not influenced by the patient's weight. And we're going to address weight issues in just a moment. But remember that the copper tea as a clinical pearl is the most effective option for emergency contraception. For the hormonal options, remember they're all progestin-based. They're either a progestin agonist or an antagonist. Now, historically, both an estrogen and a progestin were used as combined therapy. That was called the USP regimen. But because these have such high rates of nausea, they have really fallen out of favor. So as of right now, really, the majority of hormonal-based emergency contraception is strictly just progestin-based. For the hormonal option, remember, these are all progestin-based, either a progestin agonist or antagonist. The agonist is 1.5 milligrams of levonorgestrel, better known through the branded name Plan B. This is the most commonly used oral emergency contraceptive regimen in the U.S., and it can be purchased over-the-counter without age restriction as of 2013. While it can be used up to 72 hours after unprotected sex, its efficacy is best used closest to the act of unprotected intercourse. Again, this functions as a progestin agonist. The progestin antagonist is 30 milligrams ulipristal acetate taken orally one time. This does require a prescription, but the advantage is, is that it can be used up to 120 hours, that's five days, after unprotected sex. 
Now remember that this acts as a selective progesterone receptor modulator, in other words, an anti-progestin. For the non-hormonal emergency contraceptive option, that's the copper T. The copper T can be used for emergency contraception, and it can be placed up to 120 hours or 5 days after sexual intercourse, but there is some data that show that it can be used safely as emergency contraception up to 10 days later, but that definitely is not the norm. Now, we talked about the copper T, but what about the progesterone-releasing intrauterine system, or the Mirena family? Can that be used? Now, we've got to say something very clear as disclosure. Right now, that is not endorsed, only the copper T as a non-hormonal agent, which is the most effective form, is recommended for emergency contraception. But there is data out of New England Journal of Medicine that just came out January 2021. This was a randomized clinical trial that looked at the use of a progestin-releasing IUS as emergency contraceptive. Well, what they found is that compared to the copper IUD group, the data showed that the hormonal or the progesterone IUS actually was not inferior to the copper T. So the conclusion was that the levonorgestrel 52 milligram IUS family had a non-inferior result compared to the copper T for emergency contraception. Now, this was level one evidence, but as of right now, ACOG states that we need more information about using progesterone intrauterine devices for emergency contraception. So for now, stick with the copper T. If you're ever asked about the potential mechanism of action of emergency contraception, then the answer is, Yes, because there is no one definite mechanism of action. It seems to be a variety of ways of emergency contraceptive mode of action. There's no single MOA or mechanism of action that's been confirmed. The mode of action varies according to day of the menstrual cycle on which sex occurs, the time in the cycle in which the emergency contraceptive is administered, and the type of emergency contraceptive used. Uli, Pristal, Acetate, and Levonorgestrel have both been shown to inhibit or delay ovulation. Levonorgestrel delays follicular development when it's administered before the level of LH increase. Uli, Pristal interferes with follicular rupture even after the level of LH has started to increase. There is evidence that emergency contraception is unlikely to prevent implantation of a fertilized egg. And lastly, the copper IUD seems to prevent fertilization by affecting sperm viability and sperm function. It also may affect the oocyte and the endometrium, although that seems to be more secondary, with the primary mode of action seeming to be causing a hostile intratubal and intrauterine intracavitary environment that causes problems with fertilization. All right, well, here's what everybody wants to know. How effective is this? Well, remember that the chance of pregnancy per month does vary by age, but generally is between 15 and 20% per month. But the best chance of conception is when sex occurs about 24 hours prior to ovulation. In general, emergency contraception can prevent up to 95% of pregnancies when taken correctly and early. But there's a big spread here because some data show that it's about 75 to 80% effective. For example, that's plan B in the 72-hour period, but it's up to 95% when it's taken within the first 24-hour period after unprotected sex. 
Now, ulipristal acetate does not seem to have a decrease in efficacy based on taking the medication based on time of intercourse. In other words, the efficacy is still very good all within the 120 hours, whereas Plan B is more effective the closer in time it's taken to the act of unprotected sex. Okay, so as a clinical pearl, Plan B overall is about 85 to 90% effective within 72 hours, but it can be up to 95% effective if taken within 24 hours. Whereas Olipristal Acetate, again, that's the brand name Ella, seems to not drop in efficacy within the 120-hour, five-day time frame. And remember, as a clinical pearl, that the most effective type of emergency contraception is actually the non-hormonal copper TIUD when placed within 120 hours or five days after the act of unprotected intercourse. Now, before we go any further, we do have to make this point very clear, not only to our patients, but also within healthcare providers, all in women's healthcare. Remember that even though emergency contraception can be very effective, according to the college, hormonal emergency contraception is less effective for long-term contraception than most other available methods. In other words, emergency birth control shouldn't be the primary birth control of any woman. In addition, continued use of hormonal emergency contraception would result in exposure to higher total levels of hormones than would ongoing daily use of either combined or progestin-only oral contraceptives or any long-acting reversible contraceptive. So remember that emergency birth control is not meant to be the primary mode of birth control for any woman or any couple. All right, podcast family, I know what you're thinking. Wait, wait a minute. What about this whole weight thing? Why did the end music come on here? We're not done. And no, we're not done. But we're done with part one. In part two, we're going to get into issues about weight. And do you need to give a double dose of emergency contraception based on a certain BMI? And what if the patient throws up within a certain amount of time? Do they have to be redosed? We're going to get into all of that as we wrap up this mini session on emergency contraception. But we're going to leave that in part two. So again, thanks for listening to part one of emergency contraception, and we're going to wrap up the weight-based issues and the other questions that still remain in emergency contraception part two coming up soon. Have a great rest of your week, and we'll see you next time on Clinical Pearls.